If you have your Bibles, turn, first of all, to Psalm 23, and then we'll also be looking at Philippians chapter 1 this morning. We're continuing our study in longing for heaven, and uh, we're going through it bit by bit, and so you're not going to get all the answers in one sermon. And so last week we looked at paradise that was lost. God created Eden to be heaven here on earth, and Adam and Eve were supposed to take it into the whole world, and we know that they messed it up. And once they messed it up, it messed it up for the whole world, and so uh, then becomes the, the agony and the fear of death. How are we going to die? How are we going to get through it? And again, they were told they were going to die, and yet they have to wait 900 plus years. Um, and as I was talking to Tom yesterday, even walking through the series of having their first couple of, of sons and knowing that the, your one son kills and murders the first murder on the earth and kills another son. I mean, and all of that because of Adam's choice to sin against God. And so we look uh, kind of branching out. And so we want to kind of talk about what does it mean to have a fear of death and I like the movie Act of Valor. I don't always remember its name, but it's a, a story about Navy SEALs, and it's not great acting. It's good action scenes, and again, be forewarned if you go out and go, oh, well, Pastor said this is a movie we should go see. I'm not saying that, but there is a letter that happens because it's written from the chief to a lieutenant who ends up dying in action, and he's writing it to his son. And he's talking about a poem that the, the lieutenant had that he wanted his son to have from uh, Tecumseh. And that these words have always resonated with me. And I don't know if it's just because of uh, being a Christian. But this is the, from a poem from Tecumseh. And he says, when it comes your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death. So that when their time comes, they weep. And they pray for a little more time. But live your life over, they want to live their life over again in a different way. You should sing your death song and die like a hero going home. Now, it resonates with me because it, it is one of those senses of, are we living our lives in fear and regret? When we get to the point where we are called to go home, whether we're aware of it or not aware of it, will we look back and go, I wish I had done things differently. And as Christians, we shouldn't. And as Christians, there should be no fear of death for us. So we're going to look at that this morning. So before we do, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his guidance. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, and these are often quoted passages, Psalm 23, Philippians 1, where we talk about death, and, and Lord, if we are honest, a lot of us are, are fearful. We're fearful of, of dying, the process of dying, the unknown. So Father, we ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and I'll you, the great physician, to come and minister to us and open our eyes to the truths of the scripture. Lord, you encourage, you teach, you give us eyes to see. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 23, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to fear death. And so I want to start off by talking about the curse that happens. And again, this is last week. We know that there was a curse for disobedience. God told them, don't eat of this one tree. Of everything else, you can live and eat of and have plenty. No desires of anything else, but don't eat of this. And so death came as a consequence to Adam's decision. And so death should have never been. It was not a part of the original plan. It's a consequence that we receive. Now, we also know that Satan lies to us and he tries to deceive us. And so I want you to understand in this sermon that Satan has no power in death. He can't force anyone to die. The only thing that Satan can do for us is to cause us to fear death. Only God is the one who can remove our lives from us. And so we do have fears, and there are many fears that come about in regards to death. So we have a fear of the unknown a lot of times because we don't know what it's like to die. So we have some passages where we know that Paul and John did have glimpses into heaven. We know that there was a Lazarus who died. He was there in the scriptures. He was there the longest. He was there three days before Jesus called him back. But he doesn't write a book. He doesn't tell us. His isn't a movie that we get to go and watch and say, well, well, of course, that makes me feel safe and secure. Because Lazarus was there and he's raised from the dead and he told us about it. So how does this make us feel about those who write books or the movies that we go see, the people who tell us about their near-death experiences? I don't know what to tell you. The only thing I can tell you for sure, it's not scripture. So did they really go to heaven? Did they really go to hell? I don't know. But I do know this for sure. Scripture tells us very clearly that we should not Worry about the unknown. Why? 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. So we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So again, we directly go right as we die to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, am I going to deal with soul sleep or anything like that right now? No, that's another sermon. You're going to have to wait. But we do know that we shouldn't be fearful. We should take courage, even though we might not know the unknown. Because the scripture is very clear to us that if you are a Christian, you go directly to be with the Lord. And so we have the unknown fear, but then there's also a loss of control. Now, again, for those of you who get OCD about things or those of you who want to be in control of all things, uh, this is one of your fears. Because a lot of times God puts us in a place where we can't take care of things anymore. We want to. We want to be in control, don't we? We want to we decide when we die, where we die, and how we die. But God doesn't relinquish that. He stays in control. And we do get to a point where we have to recognize that we lose control. In John chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus is saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
As I've gotten older, more people that are older than I have said, people have lied when they said it gets good in the older years. It gets harder. One of the things I think most people in our society fear is they fear the lose of driving. That's one of the things that I see people just like, that's almost like they're giving up then. You can't drive anymore. When you go around hitting stop signs, that's not a good thing. But I'm still stopping. Yeah, but that's, another car is not a reason to stop. So there's this fear of the loss of control, but there's also a fear of the things that are left behind. See, separation happens. For the most of us, we're going to die alone. Nobody walks through that process with you. But a lot of times we feel like there's unfinished business here. So we do weird things. We leave a lot of times practical preparations undone because we feel like if we put a will together, then maybe God's going to take us very quickly after it. So we put it off. Don't do that. You should have a will. You should have an end of life planning. As someone who walks through many funerals, I can tell you uh, the funeral business is a business. And the more that you can walk through and decide things on your own beforehand, the better it's going to be than to have a loved one go through it at a difficult time and just put out their credit card. Practical in regards to who's going to care of your children or who's going to care for your parents. Who's going to step in? Think through those things. Have a living will. Decide beforehand what's going to happen. And just because you do those things doesn't mean that God's going to kill you within two weeks. And don't think I don't understand this because, again, the last person I knew who did this passage from Philippians said to live as Christ and to die as gain died in the pulpit. So I'm going to wait a few minutes up here. So, but it's, it's part of our thinking. It's, it's part of that losing control. And so there's also a fear of the acts of dying. See, very few of us will know how we're going to die. There are some. But very few of us know. And so there becomes anxiety. There becomes the fear of pain. How much pain am I going to be in? What kind of illness is God going to bring to me? Is it going to be cancer? Is it going to be a, a plane crash? Is it going to be a car thing? And so we become fearful. And start, what happens is we start to quit doing things. I'm not saying be crazy and go out there and go skydiving and all that kind of stuff and say, well, God's going to take care of me anyways. You can still be wise. But there is that sense of how am I going to die? The loss of dignity is very real. To, to, to be there and to be dressed by somebody else, to be washed by somebody else. Those are all real fears. But they're not to be stopping us or to make us fearful of death. Death is inevitable. And again, I'm going to keep saying that throughout the series. Everyone has to go through it. So where is the comfort? And the comfort comes from Psalm 23. Because it is said that we walk through the shadow of death. 
Again, one pastor whose wife died and he was taking his children and they were in the processional and as they were stopped at a, at a stop sign, a, a truck had come barreling down the road and he took it as a moment to talk to his kids and he says, kids, if I was to pull out right now and get hit by the truck, well, that would be a bad thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, dad, we could even die. But he says, this truck's shadow is going to pass over us. Will we be hurt at all? No. He says, this is what God teaches us from Psalm 23. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death is not a reality for Christians. We pass from this life to the next life into glory. We don't deal with death the way that Christ did. We don't deal with death the way that non-Christians do. We deal with the shadow of death. And it can't hurt the believers. So we should have, most of all people, comfort. Comfort, not fear, as we look forward to death. Because we know that God is with us. He leads us and he protects us always. John Bloom says this, he says, We must endure what we hate and we fear the most in life in order to enjoy what we love and long for the most. Death is just a moment, such a brief moment in time. And then we go to what we were created to be. So we have this this overarching fear that we're dealing with. Now we want to turn to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 12 and listen to the word, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. See, Paul tells us, Rejoice in all circumstances. We're, again, I know, there's always that fine line. As we hear things, as people get um, this decision of this is how you're going to die or this is the sickness that you're going to walk through, and it's typical for us to, to get into a pity party. Why me? Why now? Why this way? Paul's telling us that since God is with us, we can rejoice in all circumstances. And and we can take that because what's happening in this part right here, Paul is in prison and he's awaiting possibly a death sentence. So they're about to pass judgment on him and he could ultimately be put to death. And so as he's going through this, the thing that's most on his mind is gospel proclamation. 
And he says he rejoices because the empirical, imperial guards and all the rest. See, God has you exactly where you need to be, when you need to be, and how you're going to go through it. So rest. Rest in knowing that God is sovereign and he's in his sovereignty. He's both personal and he's active. He's sovereign personally because he knows you. He knows you better than you know yourselves. He's counted your hairs. He says that you're worth more than the sparrows. You're worth more than so much else. And he's in control, even during the hard times. And that should be very freeing to us. Harry Reader said this. He said he had a a couple in his church that uh, struggled with God being sovereign and in control. And they were arguing with him for years. But they had a child, one child, and this child had cancer. And he had gone up to his 11th year. But during his 11th year, the cancer came back and uh, they knew he was going to pass. And so they're in the hospital and their parents and and the, the pastor are in the room with the child. And a chaplain came in. And he said, I think the chaplain really meant this for good. But what he said to the parents at that moment was, God is not in this. At which point the mother went to the chaplain and said, your words give me no comfort. Because my God's hand is here. And I'm going to trust him. She bent down and whispered into her 11-year-old son's ear. It's okay. Your dad's calling you home. I'll see you later. The boy gave up his life and died. God is there in the midst. He's there in control, but he's also good. Because God's love is relentless and it's unstoppable. His promises are sure and irrevocable. He never changes and never fails. So that should give us comfort as we stand in the midst. But not only is he personal, but he's active in our lives. He speaks to us in this word. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always with us. And he gives us grace to eradicate fear and anxieties that we encounter. We always should keep our eyes focused upon Christ. John John Piper says this in regards to this passage. He says, I want everyone to know that we are immortal until God's work for us is done. So we should have no fear of death. And he goes one step further and says, when we have fears, we should look at death and said, bring it on. Because I can only die when my God so chooses. So we are immortal. We shouldn't be fearful. We should walk into every situation of saying, if this is when God wants me to go, so be it. But if not, then there's nothing that can take my life from me. And so we go boldly because he's active in our lives. But then Paul also gives us the purpose for it. What is the purpose of our time And as we go through this troubling times? Well, the first thing it does is, again, he told us, advancing the gospel. Every situation could be another opportunity to share the gospel. Every opportunity. 
Paul was saying it. Hey, I'm glad I'm here because you know what? These imperial guards, they wouldn't have heard about Jesus if I wasn't in prison. There's even people within the, the royal family that's hearing about I'm in prison for Christ. So I rejoice that I'm here. One of my friends, uh, his name is, is Jeremiah. And so as he talks to his customers on the phone during this time, and people go, oh, well, Jeremiah, that's a different name. And he says, I'm named after the weeping prophet of the Old Testament. Well, that's how he starts his conversation with his clients. Now, again, he's a weird guy. And I know he's listening. But he wants to use every opportunity to say, this is how I'm different. He named his dog Emmaus, for goodness sakes. Because when people go, what? where'd you get that name from? Well, in the Bible, Jesus met the disciples on the Emmaus Road. Let me tell you about him. Every situation is an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Use it. Use sickness. Use even your fear. Use your anxiety. Use your pain in whatever sense is possible. I mean, when I went to visit Deb and she's in her, her, her collar and she's in pain and she's trying to, to lift up to see me and stuff like that, she had such a discussion. I don't remember the guy's name because she said it multiple times. This is Noah. Hey, Noah, this is my pastor. Hey, Noah, do you got any questions for my pastor? Now she sets me up. But she wanted to use the situation. Do you know Jesus Christ? Every situation to proclaim the gospel. The second thing he says is that this imprisonment, this maybe death sentence, allows people to speak boldly. And we get this because if we're honest, a lot of us are scared to share our testimony. We're scared to share the gospel. Because we're scared of what people are going to say, what people are going to do. We're scared maybe we're going to lose our jobs. And that was happening there. They were scared. They're waffling. But yet he says, hey, when they knew that I was, might even die for the, the gospel message and I'm proclaiming the gospel, they became confident. When you're not worried about death, does that make you more confident? Because I know I've talked to people who are on, on death's uh, doorstop. They get to the place where they say, well, what does it matter? If I'm going to offend this person, I'm going to offend this person. What are you going to do? Kill me? Why are we not bold like that in life? See, they were made bold to speak the truth. Then it also, not only that, but Christ was proclaimed in all situations, whether it came from uh, right or wrong reasons. Remember, there's some people, he said, hey, there's people who are preaching for the right reasons, but there's also people who want to keep me in prison. So they're saying, they're, but they were still preaching the gospel. Harry Reeder, a, a, a pastor of probably the biggest church in the PCA, said this when he was growing up. Uh, he wanted to use the car, but the only way that his dad was going to allow him to take the car was on a retreat, a youth retreat. He said, okay, I'll go play some games, have some fun. I'll do that kind of stuff, but I'll get to drive the car. Well, what he didn't know was it was a treat with older people to share the gospel message. He thought he was going to a fun youth retreat, and he didn't. So he spent an intensive week of going through how to share his gospel. And Harry Reader said, I had no inclination of wanting anything to do with Jesus at all. But I memorized it. And he said, and then they went out and they did this thing where they were going to have to go door to door and share. And so Harry Reader said, he prayed. And he said, this is where he thinks that God hears unbelievers. Because he prayed saying, God, please don't let anybody be home at the first door. 
He said, there wasn't. Then they went to the second door, and there wasn't anybody there. But he said, on the third one, God left him. And they knocked on the door, and Harry Reader said he just simply gave what he memorized. He didn't believe it, but he gave what he memorized. And he said this to the person. He says, now you don't want to become a Christian, do you? And the man said, yes, I do. Will you lead me through the prayer? See, Harry Reader said he took something that he didn't even believe in God, used it even in that midst for his glory. You never know how God's going to use what you say and when you say. And even those around you. And sometimes non-Christians can say some very truthful things. So God's going to use whatever means for Christ to be proclaimed to all the world. And then Paul comes to the famous things that he says, starting in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, they will turn out for my deliverance. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, and for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. How are we to honor God? Now, the first thing that, that Paul says is thank you for your prayers. Prayers are needed. Prayer warriors are needed. People who earnestly call out. And again, I think we live in a day and age where we struggle. Does God really answer our prayers? Acts chapter 12, it's the story where, uh, if you remember, Peter is put into prison. And the church, it says, is earnestly praying for his release. And God comes to him and he has him walk outside of prison. He has him come and actually knock at the door where they're praying. And remember, the the girl comes out, the servant girl comes out. She hears that it's Peter. She goes back running. She doesn't even let him in. She goes back running and says, Peter's out there. And they're going, you're crazy. He's in prison. Well, aren't they praying for him to be released from prison? Yes. Did they believe he was going to be released from prison? No. But here he is. See, God uses our earnest prayers. Does he answer every one of the prayers that we think the way that we think it should be answered? No. And that's for our good. God knows better. He's the good father. He tells us no when he needs to tell us no. But it doesn't mean that we stop praying. We need prayer warriors who pray earnestly for the things of God. Because we need to say not our will, but the will of God be done. And as we pray that, it gives us courage. And it gives us full courage. He says, so that I might not be ashamed. That's Peter and Paul and John. All the disciples are saying, don't let me be ashamed of the gospel. Let me stand firm. Let me do the things that you've called me to do. So again, I get it. All of us can be frightful and ashamed. But we pray to God, let me have Full courage. That's what he says. Full courage. May Christ be honored in my body in what I do. And as he says that, then he tells us very specifically, to live is Christ. 
It's for the progress in the faith. It's helping others. We all need to be in each other's lives and in non-Christians' lives. We need to be helping others. Does it mean you have to, to help everybody? No. Doesn't mean you have to help everybody. But if you can't come and say, hey, I'm, I'm ministering to this person. Can I minister to just one person? Yes. If that's all God has called you to do, then minister to that one person like their life depended on it. So we minister to live as Christ, we're helping others, but we're also supposed to be teaching an example in precept. What do I mean by that? Let me give you this example of the swimming lesson. So father's going out to teach his son how to, how to um, swim. So he teaches him, first of all, he shows him how to float. Son, watch me float. See, you're not going to go right to the bottom of the pool. And if your dad can float, you can float. But then he takes them and he gives them the precepts. And now you're going to float and I'm going to put my hands up underneath you. And I'm going to hold you until you relax, until you feel. And I'm going to lifty, quickly and gently release my hands from you. And you're going to see that you can float too. See, God does that to us. He gives us precepts. He gives us examples. And he says, this is what it means to have fruitful labor. This is what it means. We're not disappointed to live. We, we should not be so concerned about, I just wish I would die. I just have nothing left anymore. I have nothing to give. Bull. It's a lie. Even in your last moments, you have no idea how God's going to use that ministry. And so we live as much as we can to Christ. Because it's our opportunity to be used by him in whatever means he chooses for us. But all the time we recognize that to die is gain. It should be every Christian's desire to be with Jesus. Our eyes should always be focused upon Jesus. He truly is our author and perfecter of our faith. We get in trouble when we take our eyes off of him and put it on the things of the world. He says, keep your eyes upon me. Long to be with me. Love him more than anything else in the world. And as we begin to long to be with him, we yearn, we should yearn for those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I leave you with this example. There was a, a doctor in a congregation, and he was going in for what he thought was some routine surgery and as the doctor got in there during the surgery they found out uh, that they weren't going to be able to correct the thing and he was starting to bleed out and so he closed him up took him back to the room and called the family and asked the family to come he didn't have much time and so the family coming thinking it was going to be a routine is now having to say goodbye and they're weeping crying it's normal it's natural but this doctor, the last thing he does is he asks for a piece of paper. With all his might, he tries to write in a straight line for his family these words, because he couldn't speak anymore. To live is Christ. To die is gain. 
Then he pinned ever so slowly because he wanted to get the spelling right. Hallelujah. To live as Christ. And while you're here, do the ministry he's called you to do. But always have that yearning to be with him. Because to die is gain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, I'm glad you're keeping me upright. Because, Lord, it's easy for us to say we trust you. It's hard to put it into practice. And so, Father, I'm thankful that you give us your word, that you wrote it down for us, that we can go back to it again and again and again and again. And, Father, you have called all of us here, if we are Christians, to go and to build your kingdom, to bring earth into a place like things are happening on heaven, in heaven. Lord, may we never take that lightly. May we be diligent to do the things that you've called us to do. May we never become tiresome or griping and complaining. May we rejoice with great joy the things you've placed before us, the good times and the bads, all to your glory. But Father, we do recognize that our love and our desire should be for you and you alone most of all. So Father, don't let us be fearful. Don't let us be tentative. Don't let us live in anxiety. But Lord, let us live in peace knowing that one day you're calling us home. And Lord, may we not leave with regrets thinking I wish I had done it differently. I wish I had more time. Lord, allow us to live life and life to the full until you call us home with you. Precious Savior, come Lord Jesus. This we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.